welcome to the Federalist Outpost. It's the beginning of fall in 1796, and there's an old man sitting at a desk in Philadelphia, and he's debating about how to end a career that has spanned decades. And this old man is George Washington, and he's deciding for the second time in four years as to whether or not he's going to retire from public life. And the reason that he didn't in 1792 was the rise of political parties, different factions. He was concerned as time went on that these different factions were going to cause the country to rip in two. And so he had drafted his farewell address in 1792 with the help of Alexander Hamilton, and he was ready to to be done. He thought, okay, I've done my service. I've freed this country. I've led it through uh, two different a confederacy and then into a, a constitutional republic. And and that's it. I'm done. I don't need anything else. But this factionalism was growing rapidly. And so he thought in 1792 that if he just stayed a little bit longer, he could stave that off. Maybe these different partisans would sort of fall to the waysides and the country would come back together. But it didn't happen over the four years between 1792 and 1796. And now he's sitting there at this desk, knowing that the political campaign that's about to start in the fall for the election that's going to happen in November was going to be beyond his ability. He was too old for it. His health was not great. And so he decided to use the farewell address that he had drafted four years earlier with Alexander Hamilton. And he used it to warn of all of the dangers that he could see, of all of the problems that he thought the country, this fledgling country of a few million people, would fall into. And at the time, you didn't go and speak in front of 10 or 20 or 30,000 people all at the same time. There were different towns, but the country itself was less than 4 million people in population. And so you, you wrote letters. And you sent the letters out or you delivered them to newspapers that would reprint them for you. And and this was what he decided to do. He didn't give a grand farewell address to Congress. He wrote a letter. And in the letter, he talks extensively about political parties. And he says, I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state, with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more of less stifled, controlled, or repressed, but in those of popular form, it seems in its greatest rankness and is truly the worst enemy. The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid of enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. 
you have to wonder whether or not we've hit that stretch of time that Washington thought we were going to get to, that we don't favor our country above our parties anymore. When I first set out to do this podcast, I had uh, a number of different opinions from friends and family, some of whom thought it was a great idea. A lot of people thought it was a terrible idea. And, you know, the idea behind it was to find the middle ground, because I don't think that anybody's whole person is captured by either of the American political parties. And let's talk about it the way that it actually is in the world. There's just no way that you agree if you're conservative with every single position in the Republican Party platform. Uh, likewise, if you're a liberal, that Democrats don't even agree with one another on party positions, on, on party platforms. You look at climate change as one of the major issues and social reform as one of the major issues. And there's just not a lot of commonality, except for the fact that there's a D or an R next to the politicians' names. And everybody knows it to be true. I mean, you know, a year ago, Ocasio-Cortez comes out and says, only in America am I in the same political party as Joe Biden. And yet we all line up behind our respective letters, our D or our R. And, and we say, OK, well, we're going to vote all the way down the ballot. You know, you're going to pick Trump at the top and you're going to pick, you know, Billy Bob for dog catcher down at the bottom because he identifies as a Republican. But then we let this permeate the rest of our lives because as soon as we start identifying this D and R up and down the ballot box, we start going outside of it to our friends and, you know, Facebook. I'd, I'd be surprised if anybody hasn't had a host of their friends on one side or the other just completely remove the other side from their Facebook feed, from their friend groups. If you voted for Trump, I'm pulling you. If you voted for Hillary, I'm pulling you. You know, you get this divide that just grows and grows and grows. And the fundamental problem with that is, is that we stop listening to each other because you, you can't really have a firm belief in anything unless you've heard the other side. If I think Skittles are the greatest candy in the world, but I've never had M&Ms, how would I know whether or not I thought Skittles was better than M&Ms? And the truth is, is, is that I wouldn't. But that's what we're being sold. The Republicans are being sold, you know, M&Ms and the, the Democrats have got these Skittles. And it's part of our whole lives now. It, it started on, on our ballot box and it went to our Facebook feed and then it went to our Twitter, if you're on Twitter, and then it, it, it even went to the platforms. No longer is it just Twitter. Now it's going to be Parler, assuming Parler ever comes back from the dead. And, and here we are living this completely separate life from the neighbors that live next door to us. Washington wasn't wrong. This approach to life is a cancer. And it's a cancer that is going to eat us from the inside out, from who our, our soul wants us to be into this thing that the political parties on both sides of the table are turning us into. The right answer has never been either of the extremes. Because you go too far to the left and you're in communism and you look at the Soviet Union and you look at everywhere communists has, communism has touched, like Cuba, it's never worked out. You go too far to the right and you've got a level of totalitarian dictatorships that are on the brink of monarchy for all intents and purposes. And, you know, some people say that Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were very, very far right wing and they may be. I don't know German politics as well. But I do know that both of the wings are always the wrong answer. And yet here we are, we're gravitating to both wings 
And we're not gravitating with 70% of the population going to one wing and 30% going to the other. We're almost split down the middle, which means that 50% of the people you run into in the grocery store are getting further and further away from you politically. And because of the way our culture is developing, they're getting further and further away from you socially. I don't think that that's right. I mean, I know that it's not right. I know that it's wrong. And, and what's worse is I think anybody with two cents in their head can look at this and say this leads to one place. And it's not civil war because you can't fight you know, half of the people that you run into at Kroger's. You, it's just not going to happen. And frankly, you don't really want to because our goal – is life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We want to raise our families. We want to have our jobs. We want to be able to buy some stuff, watch the Super Bowl, depending on who's in it, watch the World Series, depending on who's in it. We want to be able to enjoy our lives and, and live them peacefully. We don't want to fight never-ending wars because it doesn't make sense. And, and we don't want to be perpetually caught up in the churn, the turmoil that comes Every single time somebody wants to make a, a catastrophic change to the way that the rest of the world works or the way that the rest of your life works. And it's bad enough when they change traffic flow in your neighborhood. Can you imagine the government coming in and telling you to change how you think? It, it never shakes out well in either direction. So what we do from here, where we go from here, has got to be something where we listen to the points that we don't agree with so that we understand them. You can understand something intellectually that you don't agree with. Uh, plenty of people can understand why you might be religious or why you might be atheist. And there's reasons for both. But ultimately, it's up to you which one you want to believe, which one you want to not believe in. If we're listening to the other side, then we have the ability to relate to the other side. And I'm going to use an example that you know, sort of picks on the Republican Party because I am a Republican, so it's easy for me to pick on it. The concept that gay marriage is wrong is a stupid concept. And let me, let me repeat that on the off chance anybody missed that. If you're against gay marriage at this point in time, politically, religiously, you can be against whatever you want to be. But politically, if you're against it, you're stupid because there's nothing that's going to harm you. Right. If somebody wants to go get married to somebody else and it's two men or it's two women, how does that have any impact on how you live your life? Well, it doesn't. The only thing, the only detriment that it could possibly cause to a heterosexual couple is that there are now more couples out there looking to adopt. That's the worst of it because they're not going to come into your house and tell you you need to change who you are. Or come into your spouse and say, we're going to change how you relate to one another. And yet, this is a core component of the Republican Party platform, at least in Arizona. So a couple months ago, John McCain's widow is getting berated by the head of the GOP in Arizona. And this is a woman who is very pro-Trump, which there's not necessarily anything wrong with being pro or anti-Trump. But this particular GOP head came out and said, you know, Miss McCain is a terrible person because she supports gay marriage. And it wasn't something that was buried in the fine print at the bottom of the statement. It, they led with it. They put it up front. It, why are we alienating people who want to live their lives free of interference from others? It, isn't it the core of the Republican Party 
that we would like to be able to live our lives more or less undisturbed. We would like to be able to have a small government so that there's no interference in how we do things and that we want to be able to keep our taxes low so that we can spend more money on our kids and, and frankly on our houses and things like that. And all of that makes sense. If you're alienating someone because of the way that they were born, because of the way that they feel, because of, of what they want, it doesn't matter which category there you pick, but if that's why you're alienating someone, then you're losing voters. You're losing an opportunity to find common ground with somebody who may not agree with you on every social issue, but might agree with you on the fiscal issues. But we're never going to see that because all we're doing is fighting. All we're doing is drawing lines. All we're doing is creating this gulf between both of the parties with the idea that you're never going to cross it. And, and I think that's exactly what Washington saw happening. I think that's exactly what Washington feared would be the downfall of the government. When he says the disorders and miseries, they gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. Sooner or later, some chief among one of the prevailing factions that's more able or more fortunate than his competitors turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. That's Adolf Hitler. Right? That's, that's Lenin. That's Stalin. That's so many different examples in history that have used that exact pattern to come to control. And we're ripe for the taking. So how do you fix that at this point? Because while the situation is pretty bad, you look at it and you say, well, there's nothing I can do. Right? And, and so... You know, the most that I can do is talk on Facebook. The most that I can do is teach my children not to think that way. The most I can do is vote at the ballot box. All of those things are great ideas, but they're not the most. What's important now is that we humanize ourselves to the other side and that we start looking at the other side of the political debate as humans themselves, not talking heads, not Ocasio-Cortez, not Biden to the extent that he's aware of time and place. But talking to one another for the individuals that we are, that's the core value of our country, of our government, is that individuals have value. We are not held responsible for the crimes of our fathers or the debts of our fathers. We are graded and judged upon what we do separately and individually. And those rights have grown over the years and have made us a better country. Women's rights and and civil liberties and equal rights for minorities and, and all of the different things that we've done over the course of the 220 some odd years since Washington's been in power. Every one of these things has been important and it's all driven us to being able to have individual responsibility, individual liberty. Both of the parties are taking that away. And the way that you fix it is by becoming a human to the other side, talking to people who you know are not of the same political persuasion, not about politics. It can be about sports. It can be about the weather. It can be about school. It can be about finding common ground somewhere. And it doesn't matter if you're a liberal or a conservative, a Democrat, a Republican, independent to the you know handful of people that are actually independent out there and don't just call themselves independent and vote for one side or the other every time. Those conversations are what pull us back from the brink. And they're not conversations that you're going to have that are going to necessarily be comfortable at first, but you're going to remember why you're friends with people. So 
that's my little two cents on the matter. If you like today's podcast, uh, subscribe. If you hated today's podcast, subscribe. If you really hated today's podcast, subscribe and send me some hate mail because uh, there is nothing more fun in my life than getting hate mail from people. Uh, so other than that, I hope you guys have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.